You know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don Higgins and I'm Terry Peer. Uh, Don, what is today? Today's the 26th. This podcast will come on the 27th. We've just had Thanksgiving holiday. We did. I hope you had a good one, Terry. I did. Um, always enjoy time with the family, and uh, um, you know we're just so blessed. And I mean, you hear these stories about families that are hurting or people from other countries, and no matter how bad it is, we still got it a whole lot better. But um, we got a great episode. There's there's three big things that we want to talk about tonight. Um, I'm excited about it because I want to learn a little bit from your... Um, it's a conversation you and I have never had, and that is bully bucks. And I'm going to go ahead and tee this up, but we're going to talk about it a little bit later. We've gotten a couple emails and messages this week about people wanting to cull different deer because they claim they're a bully buck. So I think it's a great conversation. We're not picking on anyone that's asked the question. You know, I think it's great people ask the questions. They're wanting to learn too, but I'm interested to hear you uh, and your perspective of bully bucks and and how that relates to culling. Uh, We're going to talk about big rubs. You made a great post about that this week. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit, but first of all, let's talk about a buck being shot on your property this week uh, by the ninja your son-in-law, Corey, uh, looked yep. like he got it done on a really good buck that I think he was, that was the buck he was targeting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, I'm extremely blessed to have uh, not only good kids, but uh, both my daughters married fantastic guys. And, you know, Corey helps me a lot on, on the farm doing different projects. And I think he showed up about, uh, I think it was last Tuesday and stayed. And he just left today, actually this afternoon. Um, but we got a lot of things done besides deer hunting, but there was about five bucks on the farm that I wanted to to get removed before the end of the season and probably not going to get all of them shot, but, uh, wanted to work on that, that list anyway. And in fact, this evening I went hunting and had two of them bucks, or I, I seen two of those bucks, but I couldn't uh, close the deal on either one of them. Um, but Corey shot the biggest of, of the, uh, the ones that I wanted to get shot, the buck he shots four-year-old uh clean 10 pointer uh the buck uh, probably scores in the mid 150s and he's just one that he was getting old enough um that he was going to be getting real tough to kill and in fact um cory's been here a couple times trying to kill that deer and we finally got it done i caught it all on video um thanksgiving morning actually is when, when he shot it so it was a it was a great hunt and uh, uh he was really happy um biggest bow kill that that he's ever got so um real happy for him and he just, hunted, just really appreciate yeah he hunted hard for that buck too and had shots at other bucks but he wanted that one um 
So uh, we better go ahead and tackle this because I know a lot of people are going to hit you up on this. Uh, why was a clean 10 pointer at four and a half a buck you wanted to, uh, potentially target, or was it a good deer for Corey and something that met his goals and you wanted him to accomplish that a little bit of both or one or the other? Yeah, it was multiple things. This buck, uh, I mean, he was really nice mid one fifties, but he didn't, he wasn't exceptional in anything. He didn't have, he was fairly narrow, so he wasn't exceptionally wide. He had good time length, but he didn't have exceptional time length. Had, had good mass, but not exceptional mass. He had nothing on his rack to indicate he was ever going to have more than 10 points. But probably the biggest reason for taking that buck out is, um, as the listeners know that have been listening for a while, you know, my farm's only 120 acres. And there's just some bucks on this 120 acres that I feel have a lot more potential than that one. And that buck is old enough that, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be competition for those other bucks. And I, I just felt that, uh, if you leave it to mother nature to, to do the culling herself, usually, and that's what I did years ago, usually you end up losing the bigger antlered, smaller bodied deer. And if you can see from the photo I posted of Corey's buck, on social media that that deer was a brute he had a big big old neck on him and shoulders and um he's definitely a mature deer but he's one that i i really doubt that he would ever got much more than about 170 if if he'd lived two more years he'd have probably you know just guessing he'd have probably topped out around 170 and that's a fantastic deer don't get me wrong but i've got other bucks on the farm that are four years old and younger that I think have more potential. Yeah, that's where I wanted that's where I wanted you to get to is is it's not necessarily as much about what's the chances that this deer could have blown up. We'll never know. Um what's the chances he could have had a drop time next year? We'll never know. Um there's nothing to think make us think he would but the moral of the story for your decision in this is that there is other four year olds and younger bucks that are much more exceptional that again, it's, it's your method uh, you've talked about many times on the podcast. You leave the bigger bucks in each age class. The rest of them are the ones that you target. So yeah, we're in our, I'm in management mode right now for the rest of the season on my farm. Um, th- like I said, there's about five bucks that I want to take out. And, and this evening, the smallest of those five is a seven pointer that I, I know he's three years old as a seven pointer. He actually broke off a, into his main beam and he, he only has six points right now. Probably would, I'm, I'm not sure he'd score much over about 110 inches. If that he's one that's got to go and boy, I was hoping to, to get him taken out tonight, but it didn't happen. And you, you know, I'm, we're going to get into this a little bit more when we talk about the bully box. Cause I, I don't think either of these bucks are bully bucks, nor do I think the one Corey shot is, you, you know, I'm setting up for the future. And, and if there's not a buck this year that, you know, meets my goal, then it's time to do what I can with the herd that's there to achieve that goal down the, down the road. And, and I think next year, um, you know, with any luck, we got gun season coming up again next weekend. I don't know what's going to get shot there, 
but I know they all aren't going to get shot. There's probably, uh, you know, four different bucks that spend varying amounts of time on my farm. Some of them come and go. Actually, there's, there's five that have the potential to be really special. Now, I don't know that I'm not saying they have the chance to be 200. I think one or two of them might, but they're going to, they're going to be better than, you know, 170 inch deer. Right. People are really trying to dive into management of their property and every property is a little bit different and you're on the far end of the spectrum when it comes to that. And, you know, we get a lot of questions, especially you do. Um, I get a few about, would you kill this buck? Would you wouldn't, would you not? And I think people need to take a step back. And first of all, I think you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they overcomplicate it. Number one. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think the majority of people really align their goals and their property correctly with the decisions that are being made. It's, Hey, this is a buck. We're going to talk about bullies or here's a buck. That's a clean eight. I need to kill him. Um, he's two or he's three. Um, that might not perfectly align with someone else the way it does you, but the moral of the story, I think that everyone can kind of get their arms wrapped around is the two and three year olds that are exceptional historically are the bucks that get shot and we're letting those live and letting the other ones go in. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's not as much about the buck that should I shoot him or not? It's which buck should I let live and then work your way backwards. You know, recently I seen someone post on social media that they said that they had been to my master course and they found my property unspectacular was, was the word they used unspectacular, but the difference in my property and everything and the typical deer property is the management of that property. And I think they made a pretty valid point. I think they, they might've looked overlooked a couple of things about the property. Um, but the management is what's going to take you to the next level. And, you know, there's, I'm not going to go through the entire master course on this podcast, but you know, there's some things you can do to, in the management of your property to increase the size of the bucks that live there. I've done it. I've proven it. And, uh, you know, part of it is is you can't let every buck live. And I tried that when I started, you know, I tried letting protecting every buck that came along. He was protected. We're going to get them all to maturity. Well, what I found was you end up losing the better ones and you end up stuck with the worst ones in each age class. Um, by the time they get to be five, six years old, the ones that are still alive in each age class were not the top ones, but the bottom ones. Yeah, I think it's just a great a great conversation um, that people can apply different levels to their property. You know, whether you own a piece of property or it's a permission farm or a one year lease, that might affect all of that game plan together, depending on the property and your goals. But um, it's no doubt about it. Um, the normally the three year olds that walk out at least around me during rifle season are getting whacked if they're the better if they're the better in their age class. So we're going to dive into this a little bit more with bully bucks um, at the end after our listeners submitted questions. Um, but for right now, let's drop a second and uh, listen to a spot from Osseo. Um, You're going to be listening to this on November 27th. It's coming out. Remember. On the 28th at midnight Eastern Standard Time, 
the 40% sale expires. So you still have Cyber Monday to take advantage of Osseo Gears, 40% off site-wide. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, Don, um, I want to touch base real quick on a social media post that you made, and I was going to pull it up here on my phone, but my battery's going dead, so um, I'll have to do it from memory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You made a post of a really big rub and uh, uh, made a comment about it, about that was one of your best um, scouting signs before the days of trail cameras. So talk about that a little bit. Um, I used that picture as the thumbnail for YouTube on this episode. Um, but let's talk about big rubs a little bit. That's, that's a, that's a neat topic. Well, I've long believed that, that big rubs are made most of the time by bigger bucks. Now I have seen big rubs and watched year and a half old bucks come up and, and sniff that rub or even work it a little bit with his antlers. But I don't believe that that rub was originally made by a small buck. And before the days of trail cameras, that was primarily the sign that most big buck hunters were looking for. They was looking, the, the big rub told them that there was a mature buck in the area. Now you didn't know if it was a 140 inch eight pointer or a 200 inch 20 pointer, but that big rub told you there was a mature buck in the area. And that's what we, we would look for. And particularly when there would be a cluster of those rubs in a small area. Because you know a, a buck wasn't passing through one time and stopped and rubbed on 10 trees in one trip through. That cluster would tell you that he passes through there on a fairly regular basis. And, and when he does, he's stopping to make a rub for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, if you could put a, a stand nearby, play in the wind with good access, that's that was one of my tactics back in the days before trail cameras. And, you know, we catch a a lot of grief from different people on um, using trail cameras and especially some of our Amish followers who are not allowed to use trail cameras um, get a lot of questions from them. Do you think you could do what you do without trail cameras? No, I don't, but I was killing big deer before trail cameras even existed. So I do think I would still have a few big bucks on the wall, but uh, it, it was a game changer for everybody, the trail cameras. But those big rubs are probably my favorite sign because when you see a big rub, it just gets your imagination just kind of goes wild. And that, that was a giant, you know, I'd like to see what he looks like. I remember, uh, when I first started hunting, the trail camera technology has come so far in such a short period of time. But I mean, you used to have the ones that used to just give you a timestamp of when something walked by the trail Yep. And you would, you would look at your little timestamp and then, then it got real fancy where we had a 35 millimeter roll of film and we'd rush to Walmart <laughs> and get the one hour photo, uh, package. So it's, it's come a long way to being sent to your phone, hasn't it? Oh, no doubt about it. And I remember the earlier ones you talked about, Terry, where you, you was a, you got one event, you had a little camera 
or not a camera, but a uh, clock. And there was a string that you tied across the trail. And when someone, when <laughs> an animal broke that string, it stopped the clock. And that's when you knew, you know, but uh, we come a long ways for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one of the things um, uh, you told me about, uh, feel free to dodge this if you want, but you had a new buck show up on one of your properties um, that you mentioned to me. Talk about right. that a little bit. Yeah. You know, this does not happen very often. In fact, I've got a video out on my YouTube channel called Four Rut Myths. And one of those rut myths that I talk about in that, on that video is new bucks showing up. Everybody thinks that new bucks show up during the rut. They just come, they're all running wild, helder, skelter. They're coming from all directions and this and that. And, and there's a little bit of truth to that. And, and I, I'm going to make it very clear that I think bucks in various types of terrain behave differently. But here in this open ag country of the Midwest where I hunt, by the time the rut rolls around, I've got a good handle on the bucks that are there. I just don't see new bucks. When a buck walks by my tree, I've got pictures of him already. And I cannot remember. And, and just today, today I got a picture of a new buck. It wasn't on my farm, but it was on another farm that we look at um, with the master class. And uh, this morning, this new buck comes through. I have no idea. never seen this deer before. Very unique. Um, I, I would guess he's at least three years old, probably four years old. Um, I hope he hangs around cause he's got a lot of potential. Now here's something really interesting about this deer showing up on this property. You remember the, uh, the video I posted a while back about the, the buck that had EHD, yep. that buck was on this farm. Well, I, this farm got hit by EHD and it pretty much wiped him out the deer. In fact, uh, I, my cameras there all fall. I've showed very, very little activity. Well, this is the farm where this buck showed up. And I don't know if there's any correlation between, you know, the, the deer that were there getting wiped out. And, and then this new buck shows up, you know, I don't know if there's any correlation between those two facts or not, but this is probably the first new buck, if you will, that I've seen show up on my cameras. And I'm talking mature bucks. I'm not talking yearlings and even two-year-olds, but I'm talking older mature bucks. This is the first one that I've had show up in probably, I don't know, four or five years. So Interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what, uh, if if that many deer, uh, you know, were, um, were killed or aren't there anymore for EHD or other reasons. It'll be interesting to see how it fills back in. You know, is that just a buck passing through that says, oh, well, nobody's here. This is good habitat. I'm going to stay here for a little bit or if uh, how long it'll take to recoup a little bit. Well, I sure hope this one stays because he's basically got a five by five mainframe, really good mass. He's got a fork G2 on one side and on the other side, he's got a triple brow time. Well, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, he's got 13 points and all and. Uh, He's got potential to really be something special, especially mm -hmm. if he's only a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. All right. Well, good. Um, um, we'll keep an eye on that. We're going to go ahead and go over our listener submitted questions. We'll, in between, we'll have a new biofarm segment with Mark Kennedy about a new property that's going to be online 
I believe they're posting it on Tuesday of this week. And then uh, I'll also give a Lester's feet update about how we did with the wish wagon fund. So, uh, but let's put our first question up on the screen and let you have it that. Okay. The first one comes from Nick Essenmacher from Harbor beach, Michigan. He says, Don, you always talk about hunting these state land bucks or bucks hours away from your house. I am just curious as to how you find these bucks. Is it word of mouth, land you have hunted in the past, or just flat out putting the miles on and scouted? Thanks. Well, Nick, that's a great question. And contrary to what some of the social media haters say, I do not pay people to put me on deer. <laughs> so sometimes I will get uh, tips from somebody, um, it, but I, I want to be real honest 90% plus of the time, I chase down a tip and it never pans out. It's pretty rare for me to get a tip and, and it check out. Um, but I've always uh, got my ears open. And, uh, you know, especially the bucks that are not close to my house, usually it's a tip. And uh, I've talked about it before on the podcast a couple summers ago. I got a tip of a giant in Ohio, had pictures. It was someone I really trust. And here's the other thing. I don't take tips from people I don't trust. I've got to know you pretty well and have a good feeling about you before I jump in my truck and drive somewhere to check out your story. So don't everybody that listens to the podcast start sending me tips because <laughs> if I don't already know you for a while before you send this tip, I'm not jumping in in my truck and checking it out. But, uh, you know, I'll get, and I don't get that many, you know, maybe a couple times a year somebody i trust um says hey you know i heard about this buck here's the story here's a picture here's a shit antler whatever um if i feel it's legit i, I will go check it out but that the one in ohio there you know it, it came from a very trusted source he had photos to back up what he was saying he told me i would never get permission to hunt that buck where he stayed and he was right but it, that buck was big enough that I had to go try. Cause I mean, he was, he was, he was well over 200, probably over 250 giant. And, uh, you know, sure enough, uh, that buck ended up, I think he, I think he got found dead that fall found dead in a Creek bed or something. He was all over the internet, but I knew about that buck months before and did my best to get permission and, and never did. So a lot of it does come from tips. I, I don't pay for tips. Um, and I don't take tips from just anybody. So that's that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've seen you do is study Onyx a lot. You know, we'll be driving down the road. I think we, we were going to the John Deere dealer when we were looking at our tractors one time and, uh, we were on our way out to Sloan and you're, Oh, there's a little pocket of woods that somebody would normally just drive by and never think your wheels are spinning. That's where I need to go get permission to hang a camera. You know, you travel a lot for your consulting business and that, that comes into play a lot. People don't understand how much you actually do travel, which takes you all different directions where these mm -hmm. conversations and these observations, uh, maybe put you in a place or, um, situation that would lead you to come across the giant. So good question. Yeah, you know, a lot of times, just like you described, Terry, I'm driving down the road somewhere. Maybe it's close to home. Maybe it's not. And I'll see a piece of cover that I think, 
that is exactly the type of place a big mature buck would like to hide during the daylight hours. And depending on the situation, I'll pull out my Onyx. I will figure out who the landowner is. And I always start by getting permission to hang a camera. It's a lot easier to go ask a guy if you can hang a camera on his property than it is to, to hunt. So uh, that's gained me uh, information on a lot of these big deer. All right. Good question, Nick. Thanks. A reminder to everyone that if you submit a uh, question that's used on the podcast, you'll get a free Chasing Giants t-shirt. Um, I think we were out of a couple sizes. Those are on order and should be back in stock this coming week. I haven't told you that, but your t-shirts will be in this week. So you'll be able awesome. to catch up. You'll be able to catch up anything that you're, um, you're, you're back ordered on. And uh, why don't you remind our Amish friends um, the address they can mail in. A, I know a lot of listeners don't have access to the Internet. So if you would like to mail in a listener submitted question for the podcast, Don, I'll give you the instructions for that right now. Yeah, you can mail those to uh, Real World Wildlife Products. The address is P.O. Box 55. And that's in Arthur, Illinois. And the zip code is 61911. And if you have any questions specific about the King Buck or Separatech underwear that I recommended last week, just remember Miss Janice is the one that opens up all of those envelopes. So be careful. The King Buck, the King Buck got killed this week. Hey, let's talk about that for a minute. How about that? I know yeah. those boys hunted that deer yep. so hard. Um, I was so happy for those guys uh, when we got the picture. Yeah, Aiden Miller, um, up around Middlefield, Ohio, shot the king buck this week. I featured it on my rut report uh, one evening, and uh, it, it's a dandy buck, too. Basically an eight-point mainframe, but had stickers on both G2s, which were exceptionally long, and then had a uh, drop-tine flyer coming off one main beam, but uh, just a great buck, and uh, Ray and Aiden is uh, where they're going to be the host for my, uh, um, remote master class there in Middlefield be held at their business. And, uh, we'll be touring the property where the King buck was killed. So, and that class is sold out, correct? It is. Yep. Okay. We're going to be doing a live pod or, uh, onsite, uh, uh, in-person podcast that week. So it should be a lot of fun, but congratulations, Aiden. So happy for you, buddy. Um, yeah, getting that text, it put a smile on my face. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I probably should throw this out there since we just mentioned the classes. Um, the four classes at my property, the two with, with Dr. Strickland and the two without, those are filling up too. Two of those have only about two or three openings left. There's one that's got about five openings left, and there's one with about eight. So I know a lot of guys ask for this for Christmas and their wives or girlfriends or whatever, um, you know, pay for them to come to that class. If you want in, you, you better hurry because a couple of them are just about full. Yeah. And, uh, while we're, while we're talking about that, I think you had, is the black Friday sale for the whitetail Academy still on, or is that through Monday? Yeah. I think it's, it's through Monday. Okay. So we also have a, um, a, a discounted, uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale for the Whitetail Master Academy for those who are interested. Uh, let's take a quick break and listen to this spot with Mark Kennedy from Biofarm on a hunting property.
Well, welcome everyone to this week's Buy a Farm segment. I'm privileged to have Mark Kennedy on the line with us this week. And this is this is a really cool opportunity because we're going to be talking about a property that just got listed that isn't even on the website at the time we're recording this. It's going to be up on the website this coming week. So I'd like to get Mark on here tonight to preview this property and tell everybody where they can go to learn more. It sounds like a special one. Mark? Yes, sir. How are we doing tonight, buddy? So far, so good. Recovering from Thanksgiving, and uh, the trip to fan hasn't kicked in yet. Yep, the turkey coma is upon us, and uh, but at the end of the day, we're very thankful for a lot of things in life. But um, it was a nice opportunity to get to spend time with all of our families. But we're here tonight to talk about this new listing you got. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay, this is in Union County, uh, near Alto Pass. Illinois, the uh, it is near a couple of wineries. It's just off the wine trail. Uh, it butts up against the Shawnee National Forest. There are 390 acres in this piece. Uh, this past season, there were uh, 116 and a half acres planted in soybeans. Uh, at least 130 acres of mature timber and there is another 150 or so of open ground uh, that was not planted not pastured it's just open some of it could have been planted i'm sure uh, or could have been pastured i think years ago this was a big cattle farm mm-hmm. um, it has improvements on it what, there's a new metal building on it that's not complete. Uh, it's stubbed in for plumbing and so forth, uh, but they didn't quite get all of that done. It's a 42 uh, by 65 metal building with a uh, 12 by 65 covered patio. Okay. Uh, there's a small hunting cabin uh, that's 20 by 20 with wood heat pretty rustic uh two older buildings uh that at one time were involved in the cattle operation uh that are still uh good bones there they need some uh uh, tin reworked on them but they're big buildings a 38 by 52 and a 64 by 90 okay uh that still have a lot of future use um, the, uh, timber, uh, had a very select cut eight years ago, but there are many large trees on the property, uh, real nice, clean woodland, uh, Hudgens Creek, uh, goes through, uh, part of the property, uh, which is, a uh, a year round stream, um, there's also an interesting spring on the property that uh, uh, comes out of a rock formation on the property. Um, there are excellent uh, deer opportunities. We don't have, there haven't been trail cams on the property for some time, but they're going up in the morning. And hopefully when this gets posted uh, Tuesday morning, uh, we'll have some good pictures to show folks. Okay. 
Well, there's a couple things that I want to dive into specifically about the property that you've mentioned, and then whatever we don't hit, we'll circle back on before we close out. Um, so we have a lot of we have a lot of timber. Number one. Uh, but there is some timber value on it, even though it was select log back in the day. It sounds like if somebody was needing to generate some quick income uh, to help pay for the property, that that is a uh, possibility on this, if I understood you right. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And then obviously, um, with that much tillable, um, you said how many acres were in soybeans this year? Uh, they planted ASDS offices. They planted 116.44 acres of soybean. All right. So you got, you got some potential revenue coming back out of the tillable that you could lease off or farm yourself. And then finally the open ground. And I love hearing about open ground. Don, Don and I talk about possibilities of property and when there's open ground, either being able to go in and put that into CRP or tree program turning it into food plots or letting old cattle pastures grow up into unbelievable bedding. Uh, that's being able to start on a clean sheet of paper. So that also has some possibilities there where you could either expand the row crop operation or turn it into more habitat, right? That's correct, Terry. Okay. Uh, this, this building that you talked about kind of interests me because somebody could take that and make them into a barn dominium or uh, even a machinery shed. It sounds like it sounds like it's not finished mm-hmm. yet. You could do either one. Oh, it's way ahead of a machine shop. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, uh, so it the, could be a home easy. So there was the plan originally on that to be a barn dominium then? Yeah, well, okay. I think it was uh, – going to be a giant man cave i see and everybody uh, wants one of those right yeah (laughs) so yeah you could turn this into a big hunting camp uh with a bunch of guys going in together to do a a big hunt camp or uh, turn it into a dream home either way yeah it it has a lot of possibilities uh there's a, a good uh county road uh along the east border uh, like you said, you're only a couple of miles out of uh, Alto Pass. It has rural water uh, as well as uh, uh, the water on the property, the spring and the creek. Uh, it has a mile, uh, a little more than a mile and a half of border with the Shawnee National Forest. Interesting. Okay. Uh, now, it's uh, sometimes people don't like government land up against them sometimes they do a lot of this ground is hard to access uh, or get access to uh, the government ground right it, uh, uh, it it either enables people to set on your fence or if it's far enough back in the location could could help you and make the property yeah. hunt even bigger depending on what the access of public or what the rules and regulations there in that part of the national forest now is this property a listing or is it going to be an online auction this is an online auction okay. that closes on January 19th. Okay. Uh, there are two open houses or showing scheduled, one for December 17th, one for January 7th. And uh, people are welcome to bring their own buggies with them, or we'll have at least two there. Okay. And hopefully we'll have access to uh good shelter should it be one of those cold days right um, but we'll have plenty of people there there's a lot of uh 
a lot of rubs, scrapes, a lot of, I mean, it looks like the, they had a, uh, the deer uh, out there recently. Uh, there are trails. Uh, it wasn't hunted this this year. Okay. Uh, the man that owns it uh, was involved in a move, uh, and he gave notice uh, to the uh, man that was hunting on it. Okay. Uh, and um, there is what talking of leases, though, there's one year left on a crop share farm lease. Okay. So next season, uh, the current operator uh, has the right to farm, and that pays 30% net uh, okay. to landowner. Gotcha. All right. That sounds like an awesome, uh, awesome listing. Um, we just mentioned a minute ago if for all the people we, I know a lot of people listen to the podcast either on the audio version or on the YouTube. And, um, you know, if you drive, if, as soon as you hear this on Sunday, if you go out to the biofarm website, you need to be a little bit patient. It's going to be up there. We're hoping on Tuesday, but Mark, um, tell me just a little bit before we get off here if the two dates for the open houses don't work out and somebody is really interested in come seeing this property, is there accommodations that can be made? Yes, we okay. have, there are, uh, myself, uh, my son, Ryan Kennedy, uh, one of our other agents, Joe Corso, uh, all of us know the property pretty well. And I'm sure no matter what date, that somebody would want to take a look, we'll make arrangements for somebody to be available. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and leave your contact information, and if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to you. Okay. It, the best thing to do is call me. I have trouble texting while I'm driving, and I'm in the truck a lot. My number is 618-924-1747. All right, Don. Well, I'm going to put the second question up on my uh, screen. And uh, before you read it, I usually delete the detailed address and what size shirt somebody wants. But I thought really it was really neat that Steve, who submitted this question, told you to donate it to uh, a young hunter instead of mailing one to him. So I thought that was really cool. Um, we get that we get that every once in a while, and I forget to. Uh, give a shout out to the guys who, uh, who are like that, but thanks a lot, Steve. We appreciate it. We'll put that shirt to good use. Yep. Steve Dinkelman from Waterloo, Illinois, uh, sends this question in and he says, when is the best time of the year to put up stands? Do you hang your, do you take your hang on stands down every year? If you answer my question, I will donate $100 to Lester's feet foundation. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for your donation. <laughs> Um, um, no, uh, most of the stands that I hang, I will hang in the spring, late winter, early spring after season. Um, want to do it before the woods greens up, get in there. I'll take a chainsaw with me. And I mean, I cut shooting lanes and I I've been known to cut some pretty big trees to create shooting lanes, but doing it that time of the year, I can go crazy with the chainsaw. And by the time fall comes back, comes around. You know, the woods has settled down. My stand's in place. I don't have to go back in there until the day I hunt. I, uh, but, you know, each year I will use 
um, some Novik stands, taking them in to, to new locations and those come down. I, I don't leave anything with a strap is not left in a tree. The ones I'm leaving in a tree have a chain on them instead of a strap. Um, but when I'm, you know, hunting a new property or something, maybe I get permission, um, during season or I'm, I've learned about a buck that I'm chasing, or I've got to make a move based on something I see. Uh, I'm using those Novix hang-ons at that point, And those do get taken down. Now, a lot of times I'll replace them with a stand that has a chain on it. Um, but, but they do get taken down. So that's kind of my stand procedure in a nutshell. Yeah, we both have lighter stands that we chain on that'll stay in the entire time. Um, I don't think either one of us feels real comfortable with leaving stuff in with, with uh, straps on it over long periods of time. But I will say that neither one of us are run and gun type hunters, but there's always going to be that potential for having to make an adjustment and put in a new stand and not just the tree stand, but those climbing sticks that Novix has so quiet so easy to get up a tree um um i've used a lot of sticks in my life and those things are just so light to carry out to the stand you actually uh let me i was short i think a stand last time i was up and you loaned me one and i went in and did a hanging hunt um i was in that tree quiet um no issues whatsoever so we still are prepared if we have to make the last minute uh change but most of the time we try to be a little bit better prepared right that's exactly right all right well let's talk a little bit about lester's feet we want to thank matthew's archery for this segment um but i'm i'm so thankful for everyone for chipping in uh the final numbers have not been tallied up yet because there's still checks coming in but i can tell you that we surpassed ten thousand dollars in just nine days for the ward family to do their wish wagon project and for the new listeners that don't understand what's going on the ward family was the first family that we helped that kind of inspired us to create the podcast and use sorry create the foundation and use the podcast to kind of help promote a little bit to, to help families with sick children and the wards, even though they're still battling cancer themselves, wanted to give a Christmas gift to some of the kids that were in the hospital over Christmas. So they were starting their little project that we tried to help promote. Um, I'm happy to say that every child in Cincinnati Children's Hospital and in Louisville Children's Hospital that is admitted on Christmas Eve night, waking up Christmas morning, they're going to have a gift delivered to their room uh thanks to the donors of the podcast or the foundation through the podcast and there was a lot of people don i know you and robin did this that would just bought off the amazon link that didn't even go so it's really hard to tell how much uh, our listeners supported this project but uh, we were able to raise enough money we're going to be able to uh, get a, a big truck and deliver them Uh, Just such a blessing, and I want to thank everybody for kind of rallying behind this family. They're a special family. I got to spend time with them uh, on Wednesday. They stopped by work for a little bit, but uh, keep them in your prayers. They're not out of the woods by any means, uh, but they're sure trying to use um, the story of their girls to, um, to help others, so pretty special. All right, with that, why don't we go on to question number three. Okay, next question comes from Jesse Fromm from New Berlin, Illinois. He says, Don, 
If you had to lobby for one change to the IDNR deer hunting regulations or handling of the deer herd, what would that be? Would it be nutrition to help with disease, limit more out-of-state hunters, or something else? Further, besides a rifle or longer gun season, what would be one change that could be made to tip the scales towards the hunter over the elusive mature buck? Baiting, earlier season, etc. I think anyone can shoot an immature buck, but it takes skill to consistently shoot a mature buck. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, though. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this. Well, Jesse, first of all, I don't want to do anything to make it easier than it already is. I think it's easy <laughs> enough. Um, I, I would never, if, if I had the, the power and ability to do so, I would never make it easier. It's already too easy, in my opinion. <clears throat> if I could, I'm going to make some people mad here, Terry. I'm going to get a lot of listeners fired up with my answer. If uh, it's never going to happen, what I'm going to say is never going to happen. It, this is just my opinion, and if you've got a different opinion, that's fine. Um, no hard feelings. If you totally disagree. But if I could change one thing with the Illinois deer hunting regulations, I would make every single deer hunter choose to either hunt with a gun or hunt with a bow. You don't get to hunt both. And you know what that would do? Right out of the gate, it would totally eliminate crossbows. because. The, the guys that are using crossbows, they would pick the firearm season. Now, I would be fine if that happened. I would be fine with making the firearm season longer than it is now, uh, provided it was at the, the right time of the season. Um, I like states like uh, Ohio, Iowa. Um, those are a couple right off the top of my head that I can remember that have a gun season that falls after Thanksgiving, after the rut's pretty much over, usually in early December. Um, I think, uh, both of those States get about nine days or so. They like, it incorporates two weekends and then the week in between. So they get about nine days. I, I'd be all for, for that. And, uh, and again, folks, it's never going to happen. I have no control. DNR does not listen to anything I say. If they do, they're probably just making fun of it. <laughs> but if I was in control and had the power, I would make every deer hunter choose. It would, it would be better for the bow hunters. It would be better for the gun hunters because we would take pressure off of each season. The gun hunters would have the woods all to themselves. They wouldn't have to deal with two season hunters. The bow hunters have the woods to their self. They wouldn't have to deal with the, the, the two, two weapon hunters. Uh, Terry, you're sitting there. You're, I can tell your wheels are spinning and you don't agree with me at all. And I, I promise you 90% of the people listening to this don't agree with me either, but that's fine. I was asked my opinion. I gave my opinion. Well, there's nothing to agree and disagree with. You just stated your opinion. How do I, um, it wasn't what I thought you were going to say. I'll tell you that you, you've never <laughs> given me that, that idea before. And when you're saying bow hunters, you're saying compound and traditional bow hunters, a true archery season, not a crossbow season. I think that's an interesting concept. You know, whether a person's still allowed to kill two or two with their own, with their weapon, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting concept, not a bad idea. Um, you know, in states like Kentucky uh, and Ohio, the other thing is it's one buck, no matter what weapon you use. You get one buck and you can hunt every single day of the year with that weapon. 
So I'm not an Illinois resident. I'm an Illinois a non-resident that spends about a thousand dollars in tags, license, and habitat stamps every year. So um, I don't think it's fair for me to judge what Illinois DNR and residents do. Um, I, I think. What, um, what did you think I was going to say? Um, probably. I know that you're not anti-crossbow in in general, but I know you're anti-crossbow for an entire season unless there's a disability. I figured you were going to say a very shortened, you know, uh, crossbow season, you know, at some point in time during the year, just like it would be a shotgun or a muzzleloader season. Um, so many of these states are just going, considering all archery, including crossbows, archery season and it's just it's getting to a lot a lot more hunters in the woods i think we even saw it with the uh first shotgun season i know a couple of our buddies uh kind of watched that really really close and um i believe did i see I'm, boy i might be saying this wrong and we'll get a lot of hate mail on it but i think um archery has has more uh tagged or checked in deer than shotgun did is that right uh, at that point of the season, at the end of the yeah. first round of, of first weekend of gun season, yeah, just slightly more. Um, but I, I can tell you, I hunted, uh, I hunted the first Saturday of shotgun and, uh, man, I didn't hear many shots and I ended up coming home to hunt here. Um, but I don't, I don't know that there was a lot of deer killed around me, but I, I, I still believe our overall deer numbers are down. Um, I would, boy mine might be more controversial than you um i would like to see the amount of tags given to both residents and especially non-residents fluctuate based on uh ehd and it's it's really hard to do that with because you know we had an ehd breakout what in september this year but i had to buy my tags and get in the lottery in may and june so it's really hard it's really hard to revoke tags once it's done so i don't think that there's much merit in that but i still think it's awful that we can lose large numbers of deer to ehd and then just send a ton of people in to hunt right on top of it and just further further dig ourselves a bigger hole but no i was smiling because i just wasn't expecting that i i'd never heard that idea from you i thought it's interesting well, I, I I had time to think about my, my answer, and uh, this question would have been sent in several days ago, and uh, I I didn't originally pick it uh, when it came in to, to be on the podcast, but uh, the more I thought about it, uh, you know, I thought I'll throw out an idea that probably not too many people have, have thought of, and my, maybe there's more people that would like that idea than I think. It's never going to happen. So Never going to happen. We, never going to happen not in the state of illinois where the deer herd is just a a cash cow that they're going to milk to death yep. so the state but, would lose a lot of revenue with that idea mm -hmm. the the real the the thing that i want to go back to for just a second though is is uh the comment that was made about making it easier on these for these mature bucks i, I don't think people understand that uh, or I'm sure some do, but a lot of deer hunters don't understand that the pressure that we put on this resource in recent years um, with added seasons 
especially bringing the crossbow into the archery season. Mature buck is, is a lot more rare today than it was just five years ago. And uh, I think you would probably agree with that. If you're going to find a mature buck today, you got your work cut out for you to kill them consistently. Now, if you're on a great property, sure, you can get it done. But uh, for a guy that's, you know, hunting public ground, knocking on doors, and that's all he has, he's going to have a tough time killing a mature buck every year. Well, it's hard finding a mature buck. It's really hard finding a big mature buck. That's right. Um, you know, uh, we, we both had several mature bucks, but that just didn't meet our standards this year that were off of our properties. And it's okay. And, and, and people find this odd, but um, there's going to be some people that are content with whatever they can shoot, they can shoot. And that's, that's what they get out of the sport. And then I think there's still a bunch of people that listen to this podcast to understand the the fact that it's okay not to kill one for a year or two. If it takes you six years to accomplish your goal, that's okay. You're still trying to accomplish that goal. And here's something else I think is misunderstood about me in particular, maybe you as well, that, you know, people seem to think that I'm all for the trophy hunter and nobody else. And then that's absolutely not the case. I am fine for every deer hunter deciding what deer he wants to shoot. And then as long as he does so legally shooting it, I, I don't care if it's a spotted fawn, um, if it's a year and a half old buck, if it's a doe, whatever, that's, that's their right. They bought the tag. That, but my issue is the state of Illinois and a lot of other states as well could do a better job managing for quality and still allowing people to shoot what they want. Right. Um, the state of Illinois manages their deer herd strictly on gross numbers. They, they don't break it down. They don't try to target, you know, a certain percentage of does or females, a certain percentage of males. They don't try to manage for deer in every age class. It's just, hey, and this came directly from an IDNR employee sitting right next to me in a chair right next to me at a meeting in Decatur, Illinois, a few years ago, um, flat out said, we look at the deer herd early fall, the end of summer, and we see X number of deer. And we want to use our hunting seasons to bring X number of deer down to Y number. We don't care how they're killed, bow or gun or whatever, and we don't care which ones get killed. We just want to make this number down to this number. And I, I don't see, that's not wildlife biology. You know, that's bean counter garbage, if you ask me. That's insurance um, lobbyist, if you ask me. That, that's a big part of it. That's absolutely a big part of it. And, and the, the special interest groups, it's not just the insurance, it's the Farm Bureau and, and different special interest groups that have the money to, to grease the skids to get what they want. And, uh, but the thing of it is, you know, I, I think the IDNR does a decent job of managing deer numbers. Now, now sure, there's going to be situations like EHD that comes along. They can't plan for that. You know, we can't fault them for that. They do a pretty good job of managing deer numbers. If they would take that same approach and apply some logic to, to, to manage for quality at the same time, then Illinois could once again have the greatest deer herd on the planet, but there's no interest whatsoever within DNR that I've seen in, in improving the quality. Yep. Yep. 
Great talking points. Um, yeah, wasn't expecting that one. Um, <laughs> it's hey, it's a good idea, fresh idea. People won't agree with it. And, you know, they don't have the same perspective, but that's okay. Yeah, I I think that the only way you should be able to vote in a presidential election is if it's on your tax return. So people might argue with me I'm, on that one. I'm 100 percent for that. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. mean you got to pay taxes, but everybody needs to do a return, right? Yep. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com slash meet. Question number four. Okay, this one comes from Sean Redman from Flat Rock, Illinois. He says, Don and Terry, I have learned a lot from listening to the podcast. I have two questions. One, have you ever gone to consult on a property and was just like, wow, this is going to be a killing spot with minimal work? And two, regarding human scent in a deer blind, does your scent stay inside if windows are shut or do you still play your wind with your blinds? Uh, let's talk about the second one first, playing the wind with blinds. Um, I do think that being an enclosed blind, um, you can pretty much remain just about scent free. But I, I always play the wind. Uh, you got to play the wind. You, you, you got to know what those bucks are, are going to do as they come by. If you're, You can't expect a buck to commit suicide, even if, you know, there was a company a few years ago that had the slogan, forget the wind, just hunt, because their product would make you scent free. You can't forget the wind and just hunt because you got to take into consideration how that buck is going to be using the wind. So, you know, yeah, it, a, a enclosed blind, you can pretty much be scent free, but you still need to be playing the wind. The other question involves properties that I might have seen where I'm like, wow, this could be a killer. You know, I, I have seen properties like that. And it, sometimes it has frustrated me. Um, to go and see properties that I know have so much more potential than my property ever will. And I'll think, man, if I could just get this guy to do exactly what I'm saying, just buy in a hundred percent, do exactly what I'm saying. I know he's going to kill giants. And so sometimes they do. And if you follow me on social media, you see me posting pictures on a regular basis of giants that these clients have killed. And in fact, last October in a 30 day period, I had three clients kill bucks over 200 inches, two more kill bucks in the 190s and another one kill a 180. So I do get a lot of clients that do follow the plan, but occasionally I, I do see these properties and I think to myself, wow, please, please client, just follow the plan. <laughs> because if you do, I know you're going to be happy. You're going to be the best advertisement for me that I could ever have because you're going to be so happy if you just follow the plan. So yeah, I I've, I've seen that more than once. All right. Well, thanks, Sean. We appreciate the question. Uh, we're going to put up a fifth question for tonight and then we're going to talk about the bully buck and how that term has been used and misused over the years. 
This is a long one. Yeah, this is uh, this will be the last one. It comes from Dale Bukowski from White Lake, Michigan. He says, Don and Terry, thank you both for all you do with Lester's feet. We all know you don't have to, but you do. I have been a dedicated listener for a little over a year now. I cannot lie. The first couple of episodes I tried to listen to, I ended up turning them off. As I think back, I really can't say why. Maybe I was one of those haters that was jealous of what others have accomplished. Maybe it was the mixture of hunting and discussion of faith. Somewhere along the way, I decided to give it another try. Now I'm hooked. Honestly, I'm hooked because probably ori- because probably originally chased me away. Um, you have learned what you have accomplished. You are comfortable with your faith and beliefs. I respect the two of you for this. You have also made me a better person. I've always been a man of faith, but rarely mixed with my passion. This podcast has helped me open my eyes. I thank you for this. Please keep it going. Now for my question. On the topic of hunting the property line, recently I was able to fulfill my lifelong passion of owning hunting land in Don's home state of Illinois. On my northern border, there's a tree stand directly on the fence line. I don't want to be this guy. What would you say is an ethical distance to place a stand from your property line? Also, being an out-of-stater, what would be your approach to address this with the hunting neighbor? I have learned that the people hunting this land are not the owners. Again, thank you for helping all of us become better sportsmen and women. God bless. Well, Dale, um, your question touches on ethics, and ethics is a personal thing. There's really no right or wrong answer. So it's not like a a law, like a game law, where you either are within the law or you're breaking the law. With ethics, it's kind of that gray area between the black and white, legal, illegal. And it's not my place to be telling other people um, how they should feel about ethical issues. We're all a little different. Uh, Each one of us has a different hunting situation. Each one of us was brought up different as hunters. But with that said, you did ask my opinion on, on hunting the line, and I'm not going to dodge your question, but I, I want to say that each situation is different. So I, I don't think I, there are situations where I think it's fine to be sitting the property line, and there are situations where I think it's totally not right. Um, let me give you an example of each. Let's say... Um, you've got permission or you own a property and right the property right next to you um let's say it's owned by some company that does not allow hunting um it's almost like a sanctuary and deer do cross the line from that no hunting sanctuary property onto your property um in that situation i don't see anything wrong with you sitting the line um, you're not hurting anybody by sitting in line there because nobody's hunting on the other property. Um, let, let's go the other direction. Let's say um, you know of someone who has a property that they are that they manage for deer. Um, that's their whole purpose for having the property. They plant food plots. They do habitat projects. They do everything they can to help the deer herd. And next to them is a property that's nothing but a wide open ag field, and that's it. 
that landowner, whether it be you or someone who's given you permission, um, does absolutely nothing for the deer other than maybe plant a crop, which are not for the deer, but it's a crop they plan to harvest for money. Now, if you would go out there and you would stick a ground blind in that ag field right next to the guy that's done all this work, I think that's unethical. I think if you're not contributing and you're taking advantage of someone who's put their heart and soul and passion into building great deer habitat, then I, I don't think that's right. I think that's unethical. Um, there's all kinds of other situations that, that are somewhere in between those extreme scenarios that I've just described. And we don't have enough time here for me to dive in and try to be the referee in, in all these different uh, scenarios. I, but the reason I picked your question is because it seems like at least twice a week through this hunting season, I've had someone either text me or, or call me or email me or send me a social media message, whatever, about people on the opposite of the other side of the property line. What would you do if this guy over across the line is doing this? Would you let this guy come and get, get his deer if he shot it and it ran on you because blah, 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 he did this. Um, you, you know, those, those situations are all different and I can't be the referee. And you just got to treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, but at the same time, you can't let people use you as a doormat. Um, if you're one of the, if you're the guy that's put his life and his life savings into having a good deer hunting property, um, you can't just allow the leeches to come and set up on your property line and, and do nothing in return, um, for the deer herd. So I, I hope it's probably not the answer you was looking for, but I, I think it's a fair answer. And, and again, I want to really stress that ethics is something that each one of us has to decide what we consider ethical. It's not for me to not, not my place to come on this podcast or anywhere else and say, here's what I think is right. Um, at least on this topic. Now there's, there's other topics where, you know, maybe uh, I think that uh, the law doesn't go far enough um, that are a little more black and white than this one. But if the guy's on his side of the fence, he's legal. And, now, if he shoots over the fence, that's illegal. So it's funny. We just talked about this on a recent podcast, Terry, where everybody wants to run to the back of the property and they, they, they go through their entire property pushing deer off us to get to the back. And then they all meet there at the back. So uh, I don't know. That, that's the best I can do with that question. Um, Dale, thanks for your question. Really, I appreciate the kind words that you said at the beginning of it. Um, that type of comment and um, encouragement means a lot to Don. I assure you that we've we've hopefully gotten a little bit better since we first started this too. Um, still not very good at it. If you ask me, we got a long ways to go, but uh, we hope that we're coming across real and uh, trying to relate to every single one of our listeners. Um, Don, I think you've said multiple times that there's, you don't believe that there's one person that can't do what you've done. It's just how much you're willing to sacrifice for it. And that's really what we're trying to come across as we're not, um, TV stars. We're not communications majors We're we fumble and we struggle and we are who we are, but we appreciate the people like Dale who encourage us. It means a lot. 
Absolutely. All right. So let's finish up the podcast episode with this. Um, and, and I asked you today um, if we could talk about this because I really want to pick your brain on this and and learn as much as I can. Um, I'll be honest. And, you know, I've, I think that I've tried to use this logic uh, wrong in the past, but um, it, the term bully buck and really what does that mean to you and uh do you think people misuse that idea or that term for probably shooting something that's kind of out of context i guess is that what i'm trying to say maybe um maybe deviate their goals or um objectives for the year because of the term bully buck so i'm just going to turn it over to you and i'm going to listen I think that the term bully buck basically is one of those terms that was coined by probably an outdoor writer, uh, probably appeared in a magazines a couple decades or so ago and people have run with it. Um, I, I don't think, uh, that there are as many bully bucks as people are led to believe. I think somebody sees a deer that has busted tines and they think he's a fighter. He's a bully buck. He's a fighter. He's got to go because he's just chasing off everything else. And, and I think a lot of times we try to we try to give deer human traits, uh, human type personalities, you know. And to to some degree, that's not totally wrong. I talk about bucks having different personalities, um, and those personalities cause them to have different habits and such. But when it comes to bully bucks, I, I mean, we all went to high school or went to school and there was bullies in school. Did, did we all leave and go to school somewhere else? <laughs> no, that's, that's just part of the mix of the crowd. And, and it's the same way with deer. Yeah, there's going to be some bully bucks. But from what I've seen with deer um, and, and bucks over the years, I, I don't think that and I'm going to take this down a rabbit hole. I don't think, for example, that you can take a property and make it so good that you're going to pull in mature bucks from, from different directions because you got the best property. Um, I think once a buck reaches maturity, he's got, he's got his home range established. And no matter how you, good you make it next door, if that was not already part of his range, I don't think you're going to pull him over there once he's mature. Now, if he's a young wandering yearling buck, that's just trying to find a new home. I think that's when you've got a chance to take some of these bucks and, and make them call your place home. And then he matures there. Um, with these bully bucks, you know, I don't think that they are running off mature deer. I, I think they've learned to get along. They know the, the pecking order. They know who's the top dog. I, I see it on my farm all the time. And, you know, I'm going to, at this year's master class, I'm going to be showing some things that I've never shown before. And this is, and it's going to go against the grain of what we've been taught um, in hunting magazines and on social media, YouTube channels. And we talked about this a week or two ago too, Terry, where I think we got, a situation in the hunting community and the hunting industry where we've got guys that are just repeating things they've heard. They don't have any firsthand experience to back it up. 
you take a guy that's, let's just say in his mid thirties, well, he's got maybe 20 years of hunting experience and he's seen a lot in that 20 years or so of his hunting experience. But you know, how, how much did he hunt each of those 20 seasons? He may have taken one week off of work and he got to hunt maybe, you know, a couple Saturdays in October, a week in the rut, and then maybe a weekend or two during the late season. When you add that all up, that's not really that much experience. And I think a lot of deer hunters today get their experience off of the internet. They get their knowledge off the internet. They're not getting their knowledge from the deer woods. They're getting it from the internet. And they repeat things like the whole bully buck idea that, boy, I got a bully buck. I've got to shoot that deer because he's going to run off everything else. And I think that the the number of or the percentage of perceived bully bucks versus true bully bucks is very low. All right. So there there's been there's been a few people reach out to both of us about this exact topic in the last few days and please if you're listening to the podcast we're not picking on you by any means it's just great dialogue that um, i want don to dive into a little bit the the logic that was going through my head today was that okay as we approach pre-rut um into the rut and we start seeing a lot of the bucks you know, starting to uh, figure out the hierarchy, basically the pecking order. Um, then we know that it's, it's very common. The bucks get to like this fever pitch. And we've talked about how that buck may run home to summer range real quick. Cause he's searching for that first doe that comes into heat. That's really what the pecking order is, is really they're fighting over. Is that a correct statement? It's like, who's going, who's going to be here and who's in charge for that first doe. Well, once that most dominant buck or the one that can provide the top rope, ripe shoulder, forearm, you know, put the other bucks into a chokehold, whatever analogy you want to use, when he can basically get his dominance to the point he gets that first doe, there's other does that come into heat for the next buck. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, um, I struggle with the logic to say a buck was fighting or I identified a buck um, in November and he seems to fight a lot on trail camera pictures or I see him fighting. He's a bully buck. I need to shoot him. That sounds just like the natural progression of those bucks jockeying for the next doe to come into heat. But there's multiple does there that they're all going to end up, you know, we, we, we talk about this that, you know, multiple bucks will breed one doe during the season. So I, I just... To try to target a buck based on personality, I, I just don't see it, and I can't get my head wrapped around it. Well, I'll go back to the, the school scenario with kids. You know, yeah, there, there's a, a bully or two in school. Um, the other boys, they know, they know the bully's schedule. They know that come lunch hour, the bully likes to be over here with the fat girl or whatever. So... <laughs> So what do they do? They just avoid that area where the bully's at, but they're still at school. And yeah. I think it's the same thing on our properties that, uh, and, and you go out to recess and, and, and there's the bully over there, you know, across the playground. That doesn't mean you'd leave the playground. You're still out there. You just avoid. You're going to be smart. You're going to be smart and be on the different swing set. Yep. 
So, I, so if, so if, 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 let me ask you a pointed question. If people would spend as much time trying to figure out the weaker bucks in each age class versus the personality of the buck and go after those bucks instead, would they be further along in their management program? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, when it comes to killing a buck, that's when you need to key in on his uh, personality traits. But more than anything, how he moves across your, your, the property you're hunting. Because he's going to have a tendency to show up at point A, where another buck's going to be at point B. Yeah, and I'm just I'm saying, you know, we you got two methodology. If if you're trying to figure out which buck on your property you want to shoot, and if I spend my time trying to understand the age structure and and in keeping the higher bucks in each age class, and targeting the bucks that are weaker in each age class, if I spend my time focused on that versus saying I'm, I'm killing the more aggressive buck. You're going to end up probably being further along by killing, targeting the bucks weaker in each age class. Absolutely. Yep. I, I just, my gut tells me that it's just an easy way for someone to shoot a deer that probably was a little under their objectives for the year and saying, he was a bully buck. He fought a lot. He had broken tines or. It's very similar to, I took him out because he has bad genes. I took him out because he's a cold buck. I took him out because he's a management buck. I think the bully buck excuse fits right in there with the rest of them. And to give a real life example that we talked about, I think it was last week. You know, I had the buck here on my farm that I got his picture at 720 in the morning. I went to town for lunch three miles from my place at, at noon. It was, it was a little afternoon, but like between noon and one o'clock, I see this very same buck, very identifiable buck. I, I, I looked at him a hundred yards off the road through binoculars. No doubt he's the same deer over three miles away with a hot doe. That night, 7:30 that night that buck comes back home by himself he's no longer with that hot doe but he has busted off both g2s the story was so clear and, and obvious a bigger buck came along and took that hot doe from him and kicked his butt and in the process sent him home with two broken tines now some people might say well he's a bully buck because he's got two busted tines he's fighting all the time that buck lost both those tines in one fight what if he wasn't there or what if that bigger buck had never came along? He would never had a busted time. Um, that was a situation of very, very unique. I've never had anything like that play out in my life, uh, chasing these deer to see a buck, get his picture, get his picture again, all in the same day. Um, but when he comes home, he's got two busted times. Does, does the term bully buck get put in with doe factory and, uh, and all the other famous terms that you call garbage, or does it have some validity somewhere? Well, it's got uh, some validity, but it's like a, a coal buck. There's some validity there, but, but it gets way overused, just like the coal buck, buck term gets way overused. And usually it gets overused by somebody who's looking for an excuse to pull the trigger because they don't have the discipline. We always talk about this one. They don't have the discipline to hold out for what they really want. And, but the thing we really need to stress here is, yeah, there are bully bucks, if you will, but there's not near as many as people think they are. And most of the time, if it's, if nature's just left to handle it, 
the other bucks, they know. I mean, let's let's face it. They, they don't all have their little home, and they, they, they got to coexist. But your methodology of, of culling or managing is to basically take out the lower bucks of each age class so they don't get mature to where they're not having the chance to bully anyway. If you're going to have one that's aggressive, you would rather him be a booner um, as a four-year-old. So you're taking, you, you don't want, you don't want that, I guess to cut to the chase, you don't want that 140 inch five and six year old pushing off a 165, 173 year old or four year old. That's, that's the worst case scenario. But the, the culling, if you will, that, that, that I'm doing is based totally on antler size. It, it's not, it's not based whatsoever on the buck's personality. What, what I seen from, from years ago when I tried it the other way was that if I left all the bucks alive that I could, you know, I'm not shooting them and I'm not allowing guests to shoot them. We'll just see what happens. Well, almost every time the best bucks in each age class were the ones that disappeared. I, I think well, we can go even a little deeper than that. I think the reason for it is many times the bucks with the best antlers have smaller bodies. A lot of times the bigger bodied deer are like clean eight pointers and such. And let's face it, when it comes down to fighting, a big rack is not an advantage on a fight. I mean, you could take a narrow rack buck and he can get his tines, you know, in between that big old widespread rack. And if he's got a big body behind him, if he outweighs the other buck by, 30, 40, 50 pounds, he's an advantage, no matter how big the other deer's rack is. See, that's why I'm eating all these little Debbies. I got to bulk up so I can. (laughs) 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 No, uh, I I appreciate that context. I think it's something for people to think about, but it's come up an awful lot. And I don't, I don't know of anybody who's really talked about it a whole lot. So wanted to get your insight on it. I hope that dialogue helps people as they're trying to make decisions because I, I just think we use excuses a lot and I'm guilty of it in my past. So I think, uh, the, the conversation's good anyway. Well, and I think the term bully, bully buck gets, um, kind of confused with dominant buck. People think every area, every property has got a dominant buck. He's got, they've got the buck that's at the top of the pecking order. Um, that buck, does not need to fight the other bucks know he's the top dog he doesn't need it's like you know the the six foot 200 pound kid in the eighth grade he doesn't need to fight all the other kids know he can kick their butt and it's the same way with the dominant buck in the area so just because a a deer has got busted tines that doesn't mean he's the dominant buck and he's the fighter all right great points well that's all i got tonight what's uh what's your plan for the first week of december don you know, actually, uh, Monday, I'm going to do my first consulting visit of the winter and, uh, not going to do as many as I have in the past, but, uh, going to start uh, on Monday and then the following week, I'm going to uh, head to Mississippi and do a couple. So, uh, getting the whole consulting thing rolling, I'm still going to be, uh, hunting a lot. Uh, you know, speaking of, uh, we had the question earlier on, you know, how do you, find these bucks and and we talked about me just seeing good looking out of the way places where i thought a mature buck would live well 
Um, it just so happens that I got tipped off to a, a good buck, um, not in an area I've really ever hunted before, but not too far from my house. So I've been really studying on X and I've got three landowners that I want to talk to in the next couple of days. And I want to get some cameras out on, on those properties and see if I can find this buck that I was told about. All right. Good deal. All right. Well, that's all we got. We'll see you next Sunday for the next episode. I don't know what the date's going to be on that. Um, but thanks again for the support of the Ward Warriors wish wagon through Lester's feet. Please do not send any more money for that. We're going to close that out. Please don't send any more checks that that project is complete. And, um, thanks for everybody's support. We really appreciate it. I thought that was a really good episode with a lot of good content. Yeah, for sure. Hope everyone liked it, but, uh, hope everyone has a good week. God bless. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.